Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Hello, and welcome to Dan's Talks. Uh, My guest today is Michelle Okadoner, and she is an artist who you may know uh, her of her because she's done an amazing installation a mile and a half long at the Miami airport. That has to be known (laughs) pretty well. Hopefully they're not trying to land planes on that, but maybe that could happen someday and be part of the uh, installation. Anyway, tell me a little bit about that. Then we'll go from there. Well, in a way, I would say the project, which is called A Walk on the Beach, which is a beach I've been walking over and on for many, many decades, was a bouquet I threw back because I left Miami for college but I was born and raised there. And I discovered, even though I was in different places, that it had given me, Miami had given me my language. I was always looking at leaves and looking at uh, forms that were natural. And it was such a beautiful, fertile world in the late 40s and all through the 50s. Mm. And so with great joy, I worked almost 30 years on that project. It took from 1990 in increments, mind you, and through different contractors and different public art people. But there it is, and it's enjoyed by children and adults and people who are Native and visitors. So it's, um, it's been an institution at this point, or it's iconic. How's that? How long has it been there? And describe it a bit. Well, in 1990, the city of Miami reached out, the county, and they were building the first airport in 40 years. And I decided um, to transform a space that's usually so underused and dead that it really is annoying. Because if you go to Europe, you see San Marco Cathedral, the floors, the textures, nothing was wasted. You know, we had asphalt, linoleum, you know, wall-to-wall bad carpeting. (laughs) So I used um, the Barcelona airport, which was getting ready for the 1992 Olympics. I know this seems like dinosaur ages. As an example of bringing the beauty into the structure. So, of course, I had to then fight off all the carpet Uh, distributors who took the airport people, the Miami-Dade Aviation Authority, out for lunch once a year, and then sent them a ham at Christmas, and then they sold them their carpeting. So it was a triumph of many things besides a work of art. (laughs) So uh, what do you see when you walk along this space? And first of all, where where are you and where are you going when you walk down this uh, area is it a straight line? It's a. There's no straight lines in this universe except for you know architects who sit with a straight edge. 
Right. It's what it should be. It's one of the magical patterns, which happens to be a wave. And if you've ever walked the beach, you know that the littoral zone has several different wonderful moments. It has a little bit of detritus from the seaweeds or the seagrass. It has some broken fragments. You can only guess where and what they used to be, like mermaids' purses, clamshells. Uh, neither of those in Miami, mind you. We had bits of conch and um, all kinds of little special things, sun rays, clams. They're no longer there. It's been, that's one thing that has left is the abundance as we have uh, growth in population and given up a lot of our wildness for convenience. But be it as it may, the head of uh, Harvard Invertebrate paleontology, Professor Andrew Knoll, when he landed on the first installation, went, what the, what's this? Because I called it a philosophic essay, and I had many things the eye doesn't see, but they're the building blocks of life. They were diatoms, all kinds of algae, you know, structures that were very beautiful and primitive. And I was lucky to have these fabulous French photography books of Earth using the microscope, of course. We had Madame Marie Curie, we had Louis Pasteur. The French have made another contribution, this time to Miami Airport. Of course, they don't know that. I should write them a, a royalty note. <laughs> so if you wanted to see it and you were going to the airport, how, where would you go to see it? It's the whole North Terminal. So if you took American Airlines, which dominates the airport, right. uh, you would definitely see it. Have you done other uh, installations besides Miami? I've done many. One here in New York where I'm sitting now at uh, Herald Square. That was in the late 80s. It was called Radiant Site. And it was a national competition to reimagine the space under Macy's, which at that moment was the busiest transit intersection in the world. There was 11,000 people a day. So in 1987, that was, that was big. And I used these beautiful gold luster tiles handmade from Puabic pottery in Detroit, which is the last arts and crafts pottery still working. It's still working today. And so the idea was you descend into light instead of darkness. I created an inversion. So the same at the airport, you're walking on a beach, not a floor. There's mother of pearl, there's the shape of things you sometimes recognize. Everything really is about the transformation of space. If you're not transforming it, it's not happening. How's that? I think I remember in the old TWA terminal, there was that tube you went down that uh, was like being born. It was like. Yes. Uh, it wasn't uh, that great. Yes. <laughs> so, so, uh, but tell me some of the other things you've done uh, since then and that where people can see your work. Well, people can see my work. There's a new community to the west of Miami called Doral which has absorbed, oh, I can't even imagine how many thousands of the diaspora from Venezuela, so to speak. And I did a large uh, concrete sculpture that would, uh, if you had pouring rain, you could duck in a sudden rain. 
It functions as a band shell. I didn't realize it would be acoustic until we clapped our hands. So that is really a wonderful, large, that's a monumental sculpture. And then at Reagan National Airport, I have done a, one of the wonderful uh, circles they installed as the works of art program. And that's called Flight. And it's everything from a propeller uh, to a moth. And even a human element, I stuck Icarus in there. And uh, so he had wings and he was descending into the airport. I have a good time stretching the imagination of what a wall should be, what flight is, where the beach is. And uh, that again, these are large public works. I do a lot of private works too, but the public works give you that huge canvas. You had a medieval and Renaissance times. What is the largest installation you've done other than Miami? I'd say the uh, largest, it's an interesting question because I would definitely be the large sculpture in Doral. And there's another, which, oh, I did in glass another installation for this um, intermodal center where there was a glass canopy and uh, it was pretty hard looking. And so I made it the floating seaweed, since you were underneath it, you became the fish looking up at what was floating. And Where was this? Awesome sea. Where was this? This is also in Miami. So, And then in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I have uh, several large magical rings that are benches that the students sit on. And that has been a, also a transformative project. And they were recently moved from a space that was uh, needed uh, landscaping more trees and they put them outside the museum that uh, is a wonderful museum there that's actually been voted about two years ago, the number one private university, uh, public university museum. So I'm very proud of Michigan where I went to college. I thought to, when you were talking about Barcelona, I realized that I was in Barcelona just before the Olympics as well. I was just visiting there for a week and it was 1990 and they had torn out or they were about to tear out all this uh, abandoned area down by the water and they had already put in a new elevated uh, waterfront highway with uh, tunnels that went under it. I remember it quite well. Uh, and I also went to the stadium, which was under construction. It was quite something what they were doing there. It was a huge work project and it was inspiring, which is really what travel is about. And speaking of which, the subway station in New York, Herald Square, is 160 feet long with 11,000 gold luster tiles that were handmade. Mm. So that too is a large installation. Sure. I just installed a piece of Malta that's 18 feet of cast bronze, a sculpture in the main square. So where it isn't the largest, it is monumental. But how do you define monumental? You know, my book, The Seed. What is the book? Monumental. Uh, hmm. When is it coming out? I understand it's not out yet. It comes out in September, and, and on the 31st of this month, it's supposed to be 
in the Simon and Schuster warehouse, but with the ports all backed up still from who knows what, whether it's whatever. Now that COVID's over, they have no tangible reason. They just don't show up, you know. It's it's coming. Is this book one of the, uh, like, uh, Vaseline or a huge volume that's heavy that you can look at all through the with the pictures and everything? I did one for here for Hamptons with Asseline. It weighs about 10 pounds. It's one of those big uh, coffee table books. No, I did one of those in, nine, in 2005 called Miami Beach Blueprint of an Eden. And it's still, it's, I guess it's what they call an evergreen book. It's now going into a fourth publishing. And it was um, a record of a time and place that seemed to be lost with the idea of 1990, what happened was we had the uh, Miami Vice, Cocaine Cowboy, Scarface. Well, I didn't grow up, well, I, I w- did grow up with the Kefauver hearings. <laughs> I did grow up, you know, there was a certain amount of Las Vegas razzmatazz, the rat, you know, the rat pack, was that what they were called? The, yep. You know, Miami Beach certainly wasn't a place people came to go to church, you know, but, um, I remember Mur- Mur- the surf was uh, a big deal back then. Big deal. Big yep. deal. So that I had a lot of photographs of a different Miami beach where I grew up, where my father was mayor. And my co-author, Mickey Wolfson, was also disgusted with Miami bison, cocaine, cowboys, and mm-hmm. Scarface. So we, his father also had been mayor. So we pulled our family archive. And the book was such a success. It had four pages in the Sunday Times magazine that because it had architecture and culture, things that people weren't associating any longer, aside from the deco. I don't think we had any deco, you know, and I don't think we had, we had one, one kind of racy thing under culture. We had Zorita, because she was great, doing her snake act. Huh. With the snake winding around her in her transparent outfit. Uh, but I didn't put her, I put her under culture, I want you to know. <laughs> so there was my nod to the reality <laughs> of the situation. So, but this book is not a coffee table book. This is a book to dig into. It's, I am now the ambassador for the city of Miami Beach Arts and Culture. And I am guardian of their centennial uh, banyan tree. And there I jumped the gun because the tree will be a hundred years in 2026. So we have a couple months to go, double digit months. But the mayor, when he made me, Mayor Dan Gelber, and made me the guardian, it was during COVID Zooming, he said, Michelle, would you, think about writing a children's book for about the banyan tree. So I said, sure. So 18 months later, when I showed up with the book, he said, I can't believe it. Huh. But it's, it's all made. I, I wrote it, with a, used a brush. I made the illustration. It's a, it's a labor of love. And it's, a, again, a bouquet back to something that inspired my life. 
this tree I grew up with. I knew it. I knew its bark. I knew its roots. I played with the roots. I tied the long ones and made swings. And in a way, it's also a call out to people to come back and look again at what, what makes life. Without trees, you have no life on earth. Are, are you, was this the kind of tree that drops its secondary and third? I'm thinking of, there's a tree in Lahaina uh, that is very famous in Hawaii where not only does the tree exist, but it also drops its roots elsewhere away from the center. Is this? Yes, yes. Tree? It's a banyan tree. Oh, yeah, that's what they are. Amazing. And it's a, about an acre and a half now. Wow. Oh it's beyond. I live here in this loft. It's, it, I think it might fit in 5,000 square feet, but I'm not, you know, in this loft. I'm not, certainly not high, but it's, it's roots. It's so beautiful. And it's so, um, it, you unself when you're, this is what it's about in life. Where is it exactly in Miami, that tree? Well, that tree is right smack in the middle of Miami Beach, where I grew up. And so it's between Royal Palm and Prairie Avenue, or really Pine Tree, if you want to take it. Now look at the tree's name. I mean, the streets. I grew up on Fair Green Drive, which was a crooked street, which is in the book. But first there was Flamingo, then Pine Tree, then uh, Royal Palm, then Fair Green, then Prairie. It's really, it was so interesting. Everything was poetic and there was a, a sense of geology and botany on a daily basis, words, images. The book is, is evocative and speaking in that voice of the discovery and the return, which at the end of the book, I bring my grandchildren. So you're here, uh, have you spent time out here in the Hamptons prior to this trip to Longhouse? Oh, lots of time. It's beautiful. It's paradise. It's um, the best beach in the world. It's, you know, really don't let the mayor hear me say that. <laughs> well, it is. I, I think, I think it, I'm the sad, I've done a lot of travel and I haven't met a beach to match it anywhere. But um, so you're going to be speaking about your book uh, at Longhouse. When is that? This uh, Saturday? Sunday at 3 p.m. And what's the date then? Sunday is, let's see, I guess Sunday is the uh, 30th. Well, I'm And it's nice to be launching the book in East Hampton with Carrie Barrett, the director, because I met her through the New York Botanical Garden. So our whole conversation began with trees. And <laughs> so... That's sort of finish with. It's, though no, it'll never finish because she, and I, you know, it's that Martin Buber, I, thou dialogue, you know, it's really wonderful to, when I speak with her, we check in on this tree. Did you see that? Did you read this? You know, did you notice? It's such a, it's such sweetness. And I'm thrilled she's at Longhouse where the gardens will have such um 
emphasis because she's done so much with outdoor wellness. And we used to speak of the Japanese and their tree bathing. And I think she's forest bathing. She's brought that in to the Hamptons now. I, I was up there for the fundraiser last week, and it's uh, wonderful to see how they're uh, continuing the legacy of Jacqueline or Larson. And, uh, um, Who I knew. And uh, have you been to the Watermill Center and uh, met? Yes, with- of course. Yeah. Many years, but not recently. <laughs> well, I hope to see you then. And thank you for taking the time to be on this podcast. And I uh, appreciate it very much. And we'll get it out and hopefully help get more people to come watch it and listen to you. Wonderful. It. And thank you for the map I have from 40 years ago. Oh, my goodness. It's been folded so many times that it it has a life of its own as a relic. But it was so such an affectionate map, you know. I will tell you a little story about that map. Is I found that there was a place up in nor- Northwest that the roads were uh, coming together at very odd angles, you know, and they have these odd names like, you know, Princess Wilson's Queen Way or whatever. I had to go to a party up there at night and I drew my own map based as what I could tell was from what the other maps were. And I got lost with my own map. And I went to knock on somebody's door because it was dark and I wanted to get to the party to ask him where we're. I had the address of where I'm going. And I knocked on the door and this woman opened the door. And I said, how do I get to this street and this number here? Can you tell me? And she said, hold on just a minute. And she went away and came back with my map. And I said, it, I I drew that map, I said, and it's wrong. It's very funny. <laughs> but then she had to tell me where it was. It was a moment when I was utterly, actually kind of delighted with how to get from it. Of course. You know, that's what we do. We collect moments. Yes. Well, I'll stop by if I can. And uh, thank you again for being on this podcast. My pleasure. And I hope to see you Sunday. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.